time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. And we started out with kind of a preview of what's happening over the next couple hours here in a roundtable. Jason Jorgensen's here, along with Dave Schroeder. Clay Patton is getting warmed up in the bullpen. And uh, Susan Littlefield has information all coming from everywhere. Let's start with Susan. Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. I'll kick it off here at 1219 as I speak with Adam Banks. He's an agronomist with Pioneer. As we talk about this 2020 crop and things we need to be focusing on in crop management headed into 2021. Then Alex will step in at 1245 to talk about farm to school month. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as we talk about some early wheat insects. And that's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. Well, uh, the weather is going to turn and it's going to get windy. And for the first time, we don't have great weather coming up. So that must mean it's state softball time. Of course it does. <laughs> we all know how that works. Uh, it, the state softball is some, it's a barometer of bad weather. It really is. Knock a little frost off of first base tomorrow morning for this. 9 a.m. games. Uh, Class C played this morning. You had St. Cecilia losing to Bishop Newman. Malcolm, perennial power there. They whipped Fairbury. Carnegie Catholic with a nice win. The Stars beat Auburn 9-5 in Central City over Guardian Angels Central Catholic 6-4. In Class A, North Platte is just about to play to take on Lincoln Southeast. And then uh, Seward, Northwest, GICC Norris, and Crete and Hastings all play this afternoon. Well, if you're going to those, hang on to your hat this afternoon. It's going to be pretty windy, it sounds like. Uh, your teeth might be a little gritty if you're on the wrong field with the wind you know, out of the north. So, yeah, but that's state softball. That is state softball. And it is a cool place. Uh, they, they do a nice job with it. Lots of things going on there. Uh, it's, it's fun. You know, Hastings has had that for quite a yes. while. You broadcast there. You coached there. Yep. I broadcast there. That's where state softball needs to be. A while back, there was a bit of a push to try to get that out of there. Uh, it's, it's good that it uh, found a home in Hastings. I totally agree. It's a nice central location, and I know the metro schools all think they should host that and stuff like that, but I'm glad it stays in Hastings. Yep. Also, we'll talk some Husker football. They had a major scrimmage over the weekend. They've not been able to have many of those just with the way things have been set up, and uh, we'll get the thoughts on head coach Scott Frost about how that all worked. And the Tampa Bay Rays and their $74 million payroll one game away from the World Series. They could sweep the Astros tonight. And, uh, and the Braves got a win last yeah. night over the Dodgers. So they're undefeated during this. So it'll be a fun matchup. We'll see. Thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over now to Dave Schroeder and stocks down today. Yeah, stocks are uh, down slightly. The Dow is down 148 points. NASDAQ down 114. And S&P off uh, 22 points. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 were up slightly earlier after the first hour of trading. Goldman Sachs rose after turning in solid results, but rival banks Wells Fargo and Bank of America fell after releasing their quarterly results. Wholesale prices jumped 0.4% in September. It's the biggest increase than economists had been expecting. And also, we'll talk to you about uh, if you thought buying a used vehicle last month was a little more expensive... Well, there probably was a reason for that, and we'll talk more about that in our business report at 12.53. All right. Thanks so much, guys. appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Clay Patton. Clay? 
Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's talk with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics for a midday check of the trade. And Mike, we see soybeans kind of divorcing themselves away from wheat and corn. And we've seen wheat do this independently where it'll move higher of a lower corn and soybean market. But really, soybeans are usually attached to corn or another commodity. So to see them come back around today, is this a fact that we saw China step back in this, mor- in this morning with that large purchase? Yeah, I think the big thing that kicked off the short covering and reinstituted the pork and bean trade in the funds, I think, stepping in again, Clay, because I think they've been noticeably absent since the USDA WASDA report except to liquidate. I think the big thing was the corn purchase by China of 420,000 tons and the soybean purchase of 264,000 tons. I think you're also probably seeing um, not only a strong producer price index deflate the uh, or push down, I should say, the dollar and give us more of an inflationary look, uh, and that's helping the wheat and corn support the beans, which I think is almost a necessary requirement at this stage of the game, especially given the harvest progress. And I think also an expanding Argentine worker strike that's starting to be more noticed by the traders is probably creating a little bit more of a wave of short covering by some of the most recent bearish traders. As well, we take a look and we get car, uh, harvest updates yesterday from NAS and the Crop Progress Report. And really, realistically, we could see soybean harvest across the U.S. essentially done by November 1st. And corn is hot on its heels. Given that the fact that we are dry, is it a good thing we're harvesting quickly, or is that changing any dynamic in the markets? Well, I think it's keeping the elevators well-fed, and that, that I think that really helps us when it comes to maybe a potential snapback in the basis levels because we're not, I don't think, building up a lot of uh, time periods where we're looking at a delayed harvest and the marketing channel is moving very nicely. So I tend to like faster harvests um, because the drier corn tends to take away from the test weights a bit, um, and it also tends to take away from those big yields. And I talk to uh, clients in Minnesota and Kentucky and Illinois, along with Nebraska today, and I think that you know you have it spot on. The western corn belt is not only finishing up beans, but they're also getting well into corn and could be done, some of them, this week. Uh, Back east, probably more going to be a couple, three weeks away. Let's move over to livestock now. And in live cattle, we're just seeing traders really take a step back away from this live cattle market. We've dropped, you know, the cumulative in some of those front months. We've dropped below 250000 in open interest. Is that kind of saying the bulls want to buy, but the technicals aren't there, and they're just not thinking it's the right time to step back into this market? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The, the fat cattle really needed to prove themselves technically early in the week, and we needed to get some cash trade underneath us, I think, to offset the technicals. That did not happen so far. We have a 52-week moving average in the fats at 108-plus, and that's a real big number because we're sitting on it right now, and I think on a weekly close that's going to be a big, big number for me anyway. And that, that has now created an environment where the cattle hog spread has now broken back below $30. That's the lowest we've seen since the first or second week of May. And, you know, to give you a frame of reference, Clay, you get down to $20 uh, from a cattle hog lead month spread perspective. That's kind of the bottom of the barrel the last three years or so. So it's really with getting down there in terms of fat cattle discount to the hogs. Again, we're talking with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. If you'd like to talk to Mike personally about how he can help you manage the risk on your farm or ranch, or maybe you're interested in speculative action, visit GlobalComResearch.com. Again, GlobalComResearch.com. When you mention that you heard Mike Zuzlo on the Rural Radio Network talking with Clay Patton, he's going to send you up with a two-week free trial of his newsletter and analysis. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. 
time for us to check in on our weather and how it affects agriculture for us and around the world. And it is going to have an effect, that's for sure. It looks like you're... Next day or so, those winds are going to howl. Exactly. Uh, for today, maybe we want to start to really enjoy these fall colors because over the next week here, the combination of some wind and some freezing temperatures probably will start to get rid of those fall colors hanging on the trees right now. Going to be a lot of brown coming up for the <laughs> exactly. next few months. But uh, uh, so, and it, there is, we are looking at a visible visual satellite and there's blue on the screen yeah a little bit of light rain across north central and northwestern nebraska not all of it making it to the ground but you may be seeing some scattered light activity towards o'neill all the way back to the uh, nebraska panhandle to about the scott's bluff area mostly along a line from o'neill to mullen to scott's bluff along the north end of that line some scattered areas of rain probably some rain actually making it to the ground just in the northwest of mullen in the nebraska sand hills but some of that activity as you head towards about ainsworth and o'neill not so much hitting to the ground but uh, that won't be making it too far to the south it's all thanks to the passage of a cold front most of us with temperatures right now in the low to mid 60s in nebraska but as you head towards northern kansas especially the central and east on into central southeast nebraska temperatures ahead of this front in the upper 60s to low 70s but temperatures starting to drop across much of northwest and north central nebraska Currently, those temperatures in the upper 40s towards Shadron, Gordon, and Alliance towards the Nebraska Panhandle. The passage of this strong cold front resulting in some northwest wind gusts today of 45 to 50 and some dangerous fire conditions. Then some areas of frost with this front tonight. The strongest winds expected late this afternoon along with some steady or slowly falling temperatures. Winds expected to diminish by midnight. Areas of frost will occur by tomorrow morning. Cooler air tomorrow and Friday will end a nearly 10-day streak of above-normal temperatures as highs drop tomorrow into the 50s, and that is about 15 degrees below average for this time of year. We will see a brief rebound in those temperatures to warm up on Saturday into the mid-60s to mid-70s. Better enjoy that because even colder air moves in for Sunday and Monday with another strong cold front, some light rain, maybe even some snowflakes mixed in, a possibility for Saturday night into Sunday night. A widespread freeze also likely Sunday night with many areas expecting a hard freeze. In the long-term forecast, an an extended period of cooler than normal temperatures remains likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. Monday through October 27th, especially that early half of next week you may want to keep it going for harvest through the weekend the current outlook expects above normal precipitation for the early half of next week in nebraska and kansas it then returns to below normal precipitation for late next week through october 27th market impacting weather factors include varying rain chances for brain (coughs) excuse me there varying chances for rain in brazil's soybean areas and also some higher chances for and some higher chances for moisture in wheat areas of southern Russia. Got to know which button I'm on here. The next five days will be dry from California to the central and southern plains. The weekend into early next week, colder air will drop temperatures below 20 across the northern plains. Freezes should occur as far south as the northern panhandle of Texas and in much of the Midwest. Only areas near the Great Lakes may see some disruption in the harvest the next seven days from light to moderate rain. The nation's soybean harvest right now 61% complete. That compares to 23% last year and the five-year average of 42%. The U.S. corn harvest at 41% complete, also ahead of the average pace. Southern Plains wheat areas don't expect any chance of rain until Thursday of next week across Brazil. 
Brazil. Rain chances are more varied than earlier in the week. Large parts of Mato Grosso expect no more than light amounts with much above normal temperatures and unfavorable accommodation for widespread soybean planting in the largest Brazil production state. Southern Brazil will have heavier rain and better conditions for planting. In South Russian wheat areas, rain chances now include moderate to locally heavy amounts expected. That is the most expected rain so far this crop season, a benefit to winter wheat that will be closely watched. A lot of people are out there listening going, uh, watch us go, no rain, no rain, no <laughs> rain, to snow. Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> And you always, we always seem to get some kind of a little late October surprise, and it uh, looks like that could be coming this weekend in the way of a few snowflakes, possibly. Okay. Nothing to worry about travel-wise or no. scooping-wise, but yeah. No, but uh, yeah, that just, that just kind of figures. So thank <laughs> you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? The weather page, krbn.com. Challenges for some producers continue as harvest is underway, moving from soybeans to corn. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I'm sharing with you a conversation I had with pioneer field agronomist Adam Banks. Adam covers the central part of Nebraska as he talks about harvest management and things we need to think about in the next year's growing season. This year's growing season has thrown a lot of challenges at producers. Um, some got absolutely no rain at the beginning. Some got great rains, and then the others um, kind of bounced in between. Uh, so you look at that weed control, the, the standability of this corn crop, and actually in, and how beans did as well. What are some key things that we need to be thinking about as we evaluate 2020 and look forward to 2021? Oh, that's a that's a great question, Susan. So, the the things that I really want to get growers to understand is that we are going to see field variances due to those weather events. A lot of growers will be evaluating their hybrids, you know, based on just the overall yield. But we have to understand that the hail events that we had, the drought that set in, you know, how well did our irrigation systems keep up? And then any other types of pests that came in late. In my area, we were seeing some aphids and spider mites come in late that now added that extra stress on with the drought. And that's changing the way some hybrids are interacting. So when we evaluate that harvest information, we need to understand what had happened to that crop and make sure we know those facts first before we just look at the final yield. Are you hearing a lot of issues of weed concerns this year? compared to years past? You know, every year is a little bit harder um, to get real good weed control. The weeds in my area continue to adapt, and weather is the biggest issue on fighting weed control. We do have the products out there that can control weeds well, whether that's in a Roundup 2 Extend system or an E3 Enlist system in soybeans, but Either system, timing is most critical, and layering in-season pre, um, in-season pre-emerge type products. So once a crop is out of the ground, obviously when when guys are out there combining, taking notes, whether mental or physical, on on the condition, what are some things that we can do post harvest to get these fields ready for next year? Yeah, post-harvest right now, things that we need to look at is uh, managing residue cover 
um, understanding what type of tillage practices we want to do going into 2021. We are at a very low soil moisture profile. Last year, in the end of 19, we had a full profile headed into this 2020 season. That will not be the case for 2021. So we really have to look at what are we going to do this fall? Are we going to till fields up? Are we going to turn the dirt over? Are we going to do some um, early fall burn down to make sure there's nothing growing in these fields, taking more moisture out? Because currently at this time, my biggest concern going into 2021 is going to be overall soil moisture. Conversations from pioneer field agronomist Adam Banks. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It is time for Midday Sports here on this windy Wednesday afternoon. Jason Jorgensen has stepped in. and Well, windy is uh, synonymous with high school state softball. Nope. Uh, you can expect some wind, usually one warm day, and then it'll be what it'll be tomorrow when you're knocking frost off first and third base to start that 9 o'clock game. They usually have to push it back maybe yep. an hour or so, but uh, hey, it's state softball weather, and uh, that's what we're getting. And oh, We're about halfway, well, not halfway, about a quarter of the way done. Yeah, Class C is in the books first round. Carney Catholic moves on with a 9-5 win over Auburn. Malcolm defeated Fairbury 16-3. St. Cecilia fell to Bishop Newman 9-1. And it was Central City beating Guardian Angels Central Catholic uh, 6-4. Now, right now, Class A is going on. North Platte is playing Lincoln Southeast. No score in that one. A handful of teams from our region will play this afternoon in Class B, including Northwest against Seward. GICC plays Norris. Hastings has a matchup against Crete. Husker football team held a major scrimmage over the weekend as they continue to get ready for their season opener. Head coach Scott Frost talks about what they tried to get out of it. You know, we're, we're trying to get a lot of live hitting in uh, but in a manageable way where we can try to keep guys healthy as we can um, there's no substitute for that guys need to be hit and hold on to the ball guys need to tackle in the open field guys need to uh, be able to do those things we got to get our guys ready for a first game uh, having to fast track that a little bit because of how this schedule is played out the high schools will begin the season in 10 days at ohio state Due to increased positive cases of COVID-19 and direct exposures within their conference, the MNAC Volleyball Tournament will be played with no fans in attendance. Games will be available to view through streaming. This is a conference-wide decision and will be in effect at all locations. And what a day for Central and Western Nebraska girls golf for the state golf tournament as Class A was won by North Platte. Lincoln Pius was second. Nicole Colbus of Pius had a great day. She finished four under. Wow. Scott's Bluff, they easily won Class B. And Broken Bow won its first girls' state championship in golf while Lincoln Christian came in second. Abigail Broderson of Boone Central won the title by two strokes over Lindsey Becker of Cozad. Menon's Kendall Colby finished third. And for Broken Bow, there were only two teams they lost to all year long. That was at the Lexington Invite when they were beaten by North Platte and Scott's Bluff. No kidding. That's how that all worked out. Wow. Isn't, that, isn't that nuts? That is an interesting. All three state championship teams were at that meet out at Lakeside. Congratulations. Good, great golf here in central and western Nebraska. And the conditions yesterday were uh, much better than the day before. Yeah, and better than what it is today or what it will be tomorrow. <laughs> also, how about the Tampa Bay Rays with their $74 million payroll 
one win away from going to the World Series. And they're doing it impressive. They're not just squeaking by and coming back from behind. They're slugging their way through. Pitching's been solid. And the Braves, they uh, held on to win yesterday. So what an interesting World Series that might be if they hold on to win, both teams. That's that's not the matchup that uh, the TV folks mm-hmm, would like. But mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. Hey, it's 2020. <laughs> Nothing's going your way this year, no. that's for sure. Thank you very much, Jason. It is time for midday news, and Alan Simmons has now stepped in. And well, this Bailey Boswell trial, it should be coming to a conclusion, I would think, or it sounds like, here in the very, very near future, maybe even today. Yeah, yep, we're we're thinking that they should be done today, but you never know what happens. So, uh, Saline County District Court Judge Vicki Johnson delivered her instructions to the jurors in the murder trial of Bailey Boswell, and uh, Real Radio Network's Bob Brogan reports. The case was submitted to the jury of seven men and five women at mid-morning. Three alternate jurors were dismissed but could be called back if one of the members of the main jury becomes ill or some other problem exists. On count one, Judge Vicki Johnson instructed the jury that it can consider first-degree murder, second-degree murder, involuntary manslaughter, or not guilty. On count two, the judge instructed on improper disposal of the body of Sidney Loof or not guilty of that charge. On count three, the judge instructed on criminal conspiracy to commit murder or not guilty of that count. Prosecutors allege Bailey Boswell lured Loof on November 15th and 16th, 2017, under the intention of a date to an apartment in Wilbur where she and Aubrey Trail dismembered her and disposed of Loof's body along rural roads in Clay County. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Nebraska set another new record for COVID-19 hospitalizations on Wednesday with 315 people being treated for the virus in hospitals across the state. The number exceeds the record set last weekend and remains well above the spring peak of 232 set on May 27th. An Associated Press analysis of data from John Hopkins University shows the state continues to have the seventh highest rate of new coronavirus cases in the nation. The state reported 704 new cases and five new deaths Tuesday to give Nebraska 53,543 cases and 527 deaths since the pandemic began. Omaha police say a woman has been arrested accused of shooting her husband. The Omaha World Herald reports the shooting happened Monday afternoon at a home in north central Omaha. The 25-year-old man was taken to an Omaha hospital in critical condition. Police say his wife, 27-year-old Jacqueline Wyndham, was arrested later Monday night on suspicion of first-degree domestic violence assault and use of a gun in a felony. Police have not said what may have led to the shooting. Halloween is just ahead, and with it comes dangers for those trick-or-treating. Sandy Lewis, president of the Nebraska Emergency Medical Services Association, offers this reminder for Halloween safety. Just remember when those kiddos are out there that people just be aware of that. Make sure that the kids have bright colors or something that is reflective on just so people that are driving by can see them. If you are doing trick-or-treating, put your lights on out front so there's very visible for those kids to be able to walk up to your house and, you know, wear those masks, gloves, whatever that you feel comfortable wearing for COVID safety. 
Lewis also encourages motorists to slow down, pay attention, and offer everyone who is out and about an extra margin of safety. Well, you can find more news at krbn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. October is National Farm to School Month, and the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation is ready to help you celebrate. Today, we're joined by Megan Schaefer. She is the executive director of the foundation. Megan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Alex. So tell us, first of all, how the foundation is celebrating Farm to School Month. Well, every day is Farm to School Month at our foundation. Our entire mission is to let kids and communities know that no matter where you live, in in the middle of Omaha, in Kearney, all the way out to Scotts Bluff, agriculture impacts your life every day. So we've got some fun posts on social media about Farm to School Month, but really um, just highlighting the resources that we have available for classrooms and kids at home. Let's dive into those a little bit because you guys have a number of self-guided opportunities for students of all ages. Tell us more. We do. When the coronavirus pandemic hit, we knew that um, the need for our programming didn't stop. So we took that quality content that we were doing in person and pivoted it to an online format. Um, Just touch base on a couple of things. Lunchbox Mysteries is a really great one to get kids starting to think about where that food comes from. So each video lesson takes a look at something that might be on your dinner plate or your dessert plate and talks about the source of that and how it gets from the farm to your table. Um, Another really great resource online is our AgMeg. That's six issues. Um, They're all available to be interactively completed online, or you could print those. And we're really proud. We did a small fundraising campaign this spring when we heard from education partners that there was a real need to get Spanish language materials into homes. And so those are available in both English and Spanish. And Megan, you kind of touched on it a little bit ago, but you guys are reaching classrooms virtually in a lot of different things that you're doing. Tell us more about that, too. Absolutely. Classroom visits is a key component of our Ag in the Classroom program. And we are so proud that our teachers are saying yes to this new format. We have scheduled 157 classroom visits for this year. Uh, I think part of our success is that we partner very closely with the Department of Education, and we create lessons that help to augment what the teachers are teaching in the classroom. So we're not going in and saying, hey, here's something extra or different you need to do. We know um, language arts is so incredibly important in those early elementary grades, and so we have some really great language arts uh, resources and lessons, science, math, uh, you name it. And so we have 14 grade-specific lessons right now um, that teachers can select, and they are typically 45 minutes to an hour, and they're done on Zoom. Uh, very interactive. One thing that we have learned from our education partners is that kids need screen breaks. And so with our lessons, we actually mail out um, activity boxes so that after the video lesson with our educator, the kids have a hands-on activity to do away from the screen. And all of those promote social distancing. Um, All of the supplies are individual to each student. But again, that, just that much-needed screen break and that continues learning has been part of our success. Absolutely. And Megan, of course, none of us know when we're going to go back to quote-unquote normal. But even when we do, these opportunities are going to be great for students everywhere. 
Absolutely. We, you know, this has been a very challenging time for our team and, and for everyone across Nebraska. Um, but we are finding there are some benefits. You know, sometimes we can reach more people. Um, we had more than 2,500 people join us for Spring into Science online this summer when kids were home and parents were saying, hey, we need some, some good activities for our kids while we're working. Um, and we put those camps together thinking, well, if we get a few kids, that's great. We'll, we'll see how this goes. And we ended up having to add additional segments. And seeing thousands of families join in was really fun for us. We're visiting with Megan Schaefer. She's the executive director of the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation as they're celebrating October as National Farm to School Month. Megan, how do teachers and parents and even students get access to these resources? Probably the first uh, step would just be to visit our website at www.nefbfoundation.org. There you can sign up for classroom visits. We have tons of free downloads, um, and you can get in contact with us. We are definitely uh, able to do some customized things if you don't see exactly what you need uh, right on our website. All right, and as we round up this conversation, Megan, what are some other things on the Foundation's calendar that should be on our radar? Sure. I think one thing I should mention before we go is that all of our programming is free of charge. Uh, We mail out those activity boxes free of charge, and all of our lessons um, coming into the classroom are that way as well. It's it's our mission, and we know it's important for kids to understand what an impact agriculture has on their daily life and our economy here in Nebraska. Um, Our biggest event coming up, uh, we hope and pray we are able to put on our Growers Gala on December 4th. Uh, we do have a virtual, free virtual component to that, um, and if, if need be, we could go fully online. But that is just our annual celebration of what, what we've done in the last year and really preparing for the work ahead. We'd love to have anyone join us. Again, that's the Growers Gala, the first Monday in December in Kearney, or uh, register to attend virtually. Perfect. Great information as always. Thanks so much, Megan. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Again, we've been joined by Megan Schaefer. She's the executive director of the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation, as October is National Farm to School Month. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for the Midday Business Report. Brandon Bennett has now stepped in and well, stocks not doing so hot so far today. No, a little bit of a reversal this morning. Uh, stock index actually started up this morning. First hour of trading, both the Dow Jones and the S&P were up slightly because investors were pouring over another batch of earnings reports. And then the bottom fall out, fell out of the market. Right now we're down 138 points on the Dow, about 23 points on the S&P. NASDAQ, Global Dow, both down, but not significantly, less than, a, less than 1% on both. What is up right now, both gold and oil, this hour up a little bit. Gold, in fact, uh, up almost one percentage point this hour. It costs a whole lot more right now to buy an SUV, car, truck, or van last month than it did before the coronavirus. It almost single-handedly stopped September's modest consumer price index. Blame it on the pandemic, which knocked supply and demand way out of whack, causing prices to spike, especially for used vehicles. People weren't wanting to buy a new vehicle. They were out largely buying used, and that that drive and demand 
is also driving prices higher. The good news is that inventories are being replenished and prices are beginning to drop now. When COVID-19 made its way into the industrial Midwest and the South in March and April, forced automakers to shutter factories, many of which were located in places like Kentucky and Tennessee, and many many dealers even closed. Sales of new vehicles just about tanked. With a few vehicles being traded in for new ones and with leases being extended, supply of used vehicles dried up. At the same time, automakers weren't producing many lower-priced cars, forcing many buyers into the used price market, which initially drove those prices up, and now they're starting to settle just a little bit. Speaking of things settling, wholesale prices jumped 0.4% in September, a bigger increase than economists had been expecting. The U.S. Labor Department says the increase in the Consumer Price Index, which measures inflation before it reaches the consumer, reflected a 1.2% increase in food costs. That's the sharpest rise since a 5.6% spike in May when coronavirus-related shutdowns at food processing plants triggered shortages. Energy prices fell in September for a second month, and then, of course, used car prices, another major piece of that index, rose a little bit before flatlining out. All right. Thank you very much. We're talking some wheat concerns today, including early wheat insects. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Some of the newly planted winter wheat in Kansas is struggling to get out of the gate this fall because of, of course, this crazy dry weather. Now, to add to that, the crop stress is warm activity. And a Kansas State University crop entomologist is advising wheat growers to start watching for it. Jeff Whitmore notes that two kinds of armyworms are already making their move on the emerging wheat stalks. Now, armyworms and fall armyworms, they can be a problem of the newly planted wheat. Armyworms and fall armyworms, we don't think they overwinter in Kansas, so they're only going to be a problem, hopefully, until we get a, not just a frost, but a freeze. It needs to get down into the mid-20s in order to... uh, alleviate or eliminate the armyworm problem feeding on new wheat but right now it doesn't look like that's going to happen for a couple of weeks and we're starting to see armyworms and Whitworth points out that these armyworms and fall armyworms can reach sufficient numbers to merit the treatment instead of waiting for the first real hard freeze if you have five six or seven small armyworms or fall armyworms per square foot and they're feeding on the on the wheat, especially during right now when it's stressed or it's dry, you might consider a an application of an insecticide. Um, there's a lot of different insecticides that are registered. These worms are right up there on top of the ground, and they're feeding, uh, so they're not that difficult to kill. They're feeding on the plant itself. They're not feeding on the root system. Uh, they're destroying the plant. But then again, at the same time, growers need to stay alert for the presence of army cutworms as well, as they're posing a bit of a different threat. Army cutworms, the moths are here now. They're laying eggs in wheat and alfalfa or any grass or any plant that's green. Those eggs will hatch in the next two to three weeks, and those larvae will start feeding on the wheat or the alfalfa or whatever the eggs were laid on. So you need to get out, and if you do find some small worms, Make sure you uh, look and try and get them identified as to whether they're army worms or army cut worms or fall army worms because army worms and fall army worms will go away after the first cold weather. 
I mean, cutworms won't. They will overwinter as small larvae right out there in that field. And then they'll, every time the temperature's over 45, 50 degrees, they will feed all winter long. And so in the spring, then, that's when we'll see the majority of the feeding. That's where we'll see the majority of the problem. Of course, you need to consult your local Extension Agricultural agent if you have questions for further input on controlling worm damage on winter wheat this fall. Those comments coming from Kansas State University's crop entomologist, Jeff Whitworth. Now, in the latest USDA crop progress report, wheat farmers, meanwhile, had about 68% of their winter wheat crop in the ground. That's up from 52% a week earlier and ahead of the five-year average of 61%, according to the USDA. Now, in Kansas, the biggest grower of the grain in the U.S., 74% of the ground is in the ground versus 56% seen just a week earlier. And as of Sunday, 41% of the U.S. winter wheat crop had emerged. That's up from 24% seven days earlier and ahead of the normal, 35% for this time of year. But again, entomologists are stressing the need to get out there and scout those winter wheat fields. And as you can't count on an early freeze to take them. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Oh. Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's look at the grain settlements now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, across the close come in, and although it's been a split day, really we end mostly in the green, and really it's the soybean complex as a whole that's been a main driver here today. Looking specifically, though, what is getting behind this meal market up almost eight in that December contract? Well, consumption for one, you know, the increased number of feed, and this is a feed rally. I think that's important in the way you have to look at it here. Led by the wheat markets, accompanied by the soybean meal markets, and corn now coming along as well. Corn, you know, unlike soybean meal, uh, corn has the ethanol overhang, whereas wheat and meal don't. So, you know, at this point in time, you look at meal and where we could go. I, I mean, 400 was where we were when, when the 2016 spike happened, and we're at 364 right now. So you tack on another... 10%, we'll throw that on soybeans. That may be where we're headed, at least in the very short run. I think, uh, you know, I mentioned rolling back to the July um, off of that, that November. That's the risk. You're going to miss out on a big, huge spike move if you're not in the old crop product. So I think at this point I'm willing to miss out on that, though, and move up my risk. If you basically are waiting to sell the beans, I would price them and then look at the July futures as a way to reown. Or, you know, if you want to get more aggressive, go to March. I don't like trading them the January, just too close to the election. And given the uh, the upside moves we've had, the downside risk is there as well. And I, I just, I'd much rather be able to risk 50 cents than say 80 and still be able to hold these things at 10 cents so or $10. So for me, beans, you know, very stout, kind of bought again. Uh, they bought some corn as well. And that's, uh, the market's going to like that. Speaking of the election, is there a scenario where the money keeps somewhat hungry for this commodity inflation, or do a lot of things point to either moving back into equities or more safe haven assets? Well, the safe haven asset would be the dollar or gold or something like that. Both of them haven't performed well since you know late summer. Um, I, I I still think the dollar is a place to go. Um, don't expect the stimulus. I'd be surprised if, if Trump wins. There's, I just don't see some sort of stimulus package coming down the pipeline. And even Biden wins, I don't know if they're going to get the backing of the Fed to do it. Yesterday, J.P. Morgan's uh, earnings report showed that you know U.S. citizens are holding like more cash in bank accounts than they have in a long, long time. Especially, I mean, probably at a high absolute level. Um, and I don't know if you know giving out more money is is 
it's really in the interest of the economy at this point. I think getting folks to use the you know use the money on something is better because um, folks are essentially stashing it away. So at this point in time, I, I would you know encourage farmers to to take this rally and you know maybe lock something ahead of the election. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, train future options involve risk of loss. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of Midday. If you miss anything, you can listen to our Midday podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors. That's available on iTunes or krvn.com.